This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics show i'm christopher jones and with me as he is every single week is my esteemed co-host matthew rushing matthew you're always talking especially at the end of the show here about how you're going to convince people to love deep space nine and i'm looking at you on camera today you're wearing a Deep Space Nine sweatshirt. So is this another tool in your toolbox of convincing everyone? It is, Chris. Um, I am just putting out the good vibes for everyone for Deep Space Nine. And, and you know what? I think it's working because I'm seeing more and more Deep Space Nine books coming out, Chris. And I'm just super excited. So I feel like if I just keep wearing the sweatshirt, <laughs> we'll be getting more Deep Space Nine books. So you're, like, so you're like the sports fan where you have to wear your team's sweatshirt when the game is on. You're wearing your Star Trek Deep Space Nine sweatshirt so that Pocket will continue to publish more books. What's wrong with that? It makes perfect it works, sense, right? To me. I mean, we all we both like sports ball. We know how the rules go. Yeah, works for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those beer commercials are right. It's only weird if it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump on in here because we have a very long interview with Kirsten Beyer coming up in the feature talking about the new Voyager novel, Acts of Contrition. Many people asked us to make sure we could somehow get her on the show. Was there any way that you could get Kirsten on the show? And sure enough, we pulled it off. It was very, very difficult. She resisted, but then she finally agreed. So we're glad she's here. (laughs) (laughs) She'll explain how how much she resisted uh, when she comes on here shortly. We uh, One more note here before we go into news. We were going to cover some comics this week. There are some new comics out. We're holding off on those. As many of you listening know, especially those of you who follow me on Twitter or on Facebook or, or are in our discussion groups, know that I am having eye surgery this weekend, two days from the time that we're recording this, and I really cannot read right now. It's very difficult for me to read, especially fine print and comics. So we're holding off on those. I'm going to be able to see clearly when this is done, and we'll be getting back to those. Uh, There's a possibility that we might not have a show next week because I'm not sure if I'll be able to edit and record. So we'll see how that goes. So if you don't see a show, we'll be back the following week, but hopefully we'll stay on schedule there. Just wanted to let everyone know that that was going on. 
and that it might affect us a little bit, and it is affecting us here in covering comics today. Matthew, the first thing we have up, those who have listened to the latest episode of Earl Grey know that our colleague Philip Gilfus told you to, quote, suck it rushing because there was no cover to judge in the digital copy of Ships of the Line, which I'm thinking maybe Philip just didn't flip back a couple of pages in that digital version, because there usually is a cover there. But either way, we do have a cover to judge right now, Matthew. Deep Space Nine, The Missing. Judging a book by its cover, because that's what we do on this show. And Philip, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you were going to tell him to suck it like he told you. I know. I'm classier <laughs> than that, Chris. That's just mean. Okay, Matthew. This is Star Trek. I have to make an observation real quick there. You know, like everyone else, I love your your judge a book by its cover variations mm-hmm. here, but mm-hmm. they're sounding really similar. It's almost like a Maroon 5 album going on here where like oh, every oh. track sounds again, very Chris. much like the other one. With judging a book cover. Okay, there you go. A little bit more variation in there. I like it. I like it. Okay, so let's get on to this cover I just, right I here. just went to my 80s hair band <laughs> idea, you know. So let's get on to this cover right here. This is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Missing. It's an absolutely beautiful cover. Has I actually stamped it three times with my stamp of sufficient excitement, but there is a little catch to this. Apparently, there was a problem with the original version of this cover. Yeah, it, Doug Drexler, uh, who had helped create this cover, uh, said that there had been a little, just some issues with the cover, and they were able to fix it. Uh, his his friends over there at Pocket Books, and and I think just created a stunning cover. I, I really love this. It is more than sufficiently exciting, if that's a thing, Chris. And it, it leaves me very excited for the, this book coming out. One, it's Una McCormick. Two, it's Deep Space Nine. And three, going to be featured in this book is none other than Beverly Crusher. So <laughs> uh, she's going to be the new CMO right now on Deep Space Nine now that uh, Dr. Bashir is having some trouble with Section 31. No way. Is he mixed up yeah, with those guys? Yeah, that's never happened. Yeah, again, it happens. David Mack is writing this great book coming out, uh, Disavowed. So, so Matthew, but, uh, are you yeah. disappointed that Beverly isn't peeking out of one of the windows on one of these ships on the cover and waving at you? Chris, I'm always disappointed about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, uh, but I, I'm excited because, you know, I, Brinkmanship, uh, I guess, uh, oh gosh, now a couple of years ago featured her pretty prominently in the book. She had a pretty big role to play. Una wrote that. Very excited. This book again, Bev going to be featured in another Una McCormick book here with Deep Space Nine characters. So, um, I'm, I'm just excited, you know, Chris, as we were talking about, you were making fun of my sweatshirt. Um, <laughs> wasn't making fun I'm, of it. I like it. Yeah, I'm glad to to see that that we're we're getting more books with Deep Space Nine and and uh, which is great, Chris, because it leads us into the next story that we have here in news. And David R. George III on his Facebook yeah. account gave us some tidbits about out June 2015. That's weird to say 2015. Good lord, 
before we know it's going to be 2020, Chris. It really is. Wish my vision was 2020. Me too. Because anyway. speaking of that, now, I just said <laughs> yeah. up front, you know, I'm having eye surgery and I can't see yeah. well enough to really read oh, right man. now. I misread this at first. I thought that David had revealed here that the name of this book is Sacramento Fire. And, you know, I, I used to live in Reno, Tahoe, so we have all these fires around there. Turns out it's actually Sacraments of a Fire. Yes, Chris. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be following up on some things that, that David did in Revelation and Dust. Um, I, I think uh, we're really going to be following up on some of the storylines that he had kind of set out there. Very excited to hear that. Um, and just this title alone, it leads me very excited. It's a very Deep Space Nine title. So I just can't wait. You know, more Deep Space Nine, Chris, as you know, Deep Space Nine all the time. Yeah, I saw your Netflix My List, Matthew, and it was just DS9. There was nothing else in there. So it truly is DS9 <laughs> all the time. Well, Chris, uh, I you know, I like to branch out a little bit. Obviously, I, I got the Doctor, Doctor Who, and, and those kind of things. So, um, But uh, yeah, I actually do end up watching a lot of Deep Space Nine on there, especially when I'm getting ready for the orb. <laughs> right. All right. Well, this is exciting. We don't really have any more about that at the moment than what we've shared right here, but we'll definitely be keeping our eye out for that. And June 2015, will be here before we know it, Matthew. It's going to be, wow. We're going to have a lot of, of tidbits or rumors anyway about this book coming up very soon, I bet. Well, and Chris, the, the last thing that we have here is just something that we wanted to mention is that Harlan Ellison, who is responsible for City on the Edge of Forever, has suffered a stroke. And um, it looks like uh, Susan Ellison had briefly posted that he is doing well. Um, and, uh, and they're trying to make him as comfortable as possible. They would keep us updated as much as she can. Um, and so definitely want our thoughts and, and, and prayers with him as uh, he's going through this, and, and hopefully that he will recover soon. And so, Definitely. Um, she said that his right side is paralyzed, and you know I don't know if that will be permanent or not. I think that sometimes that happens, and it's temporary in these situations, and sometimes it's not. You know, I've had a number of family members who have had strokes in the past. A friend of mine had a stroke recently and is doing just fine as well. But it's always scary, so definitely our thoughts with Harlan Ellison and his family here, and I uh, hope the recovery is quick and complete. So, Matthew, let's uh, move on from news here and bring Kirsten in. Before we do that, we need to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible. They're the best source for audiobooks, as we tell you every single week. Matthew, preparing for our discussion with Kirsten today really highlighted for me once again why we need and I don't want to go on a rant about this today, but we need audiobooks for the new Star Trek books. They need to be putting those out because I cannot really read that book on my Kindle right now. So I've been using the speech, text-to-speech features of OS X to have iBooks read Acts of Contrition to me. And it does a good job, but it's not the same as having someone actually read it to you with the emotion behind the story. So if you want that from your Star Trek books, especially the ones from the past, Audible has those for you, and you can get one absolutely free as a Trek FM listener just for trying Audible if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to recommend a book to you every week, 
And this week, Matthew, we were talking about what to recommend, and you mentioned Prime Directive, which is from 1990. It came out in hardcover September 1990. One of the great Star Trek novels and one of the great Judith Reeve Stevens and Garfield Reeve Stevens novels. Tell us a little bit about this book and why I know you've read it multiple times. It is, Chris. Uh, it is one of those books that, uh, you know, uh, tie-in novels I don't tend to read uh, more than once usually, um, except for, you know, now that we're rego- now that we're going back through the Deep Space Nine relaunch and those kind of things. This is one of those books, though, that was just so pivotal for me in, in my, my Star Trek literature life. It, it held such gravitas. Kirk's failure to obey the Prime Directive left a planet just completely destroyed with nuclear holocaust, basically. So he was disbarred from Starfleet and, and uh, you know, his, his career is in ruins and him and the rest of the crew have to figure out whether... Uh, it was actually Kirk's failure or it was actually something more sinister at work. And it's got a, this book is awesome because it's read by James Dewan. And I can't think of anybody better to, to read a Star Trek book. I mean, he already did all those voices in TAS. And mm-hmm. so um, he's so good at that. And what a great way to experience, I think, one of the best Star Trek books I've ever read. Yeah, it's been a long time since I read this book. But I actually remember kind of where I was when I read it. And uh, it was at one of my early jobs and on breaks, you know, I would read it. But I can kind of still picture myself yeah. being there in that place uh, reading this. It kind of stuck with me as, as being one of the great books that I really enjoyed. So uh, I agree with you. Great recommendation here. And everyone, you can pick this book up as well. Absolutely free at audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. If you want a different book, you can get that too. Go pick whatever you want. Star Trek or otherwise. And if you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book so there's nothing to lose. So go check it out, pick up this book, and that helps us keep literary treks coming to you every single week. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm is the URL, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, Chris, we have a fantastic show for you. Uh, Like we were talking about on the other side of the page, people ask us every time there is a new Voyager book coming out, when are you going to be talking to Kirsten? Are you going to be talking to Kirsten? Is she going to be on the show? And as we always tell them, well, we had to twist her arm, but she's going to be here. Um, and so I'm so excited because uh, Acts of Contrition just came out a few weeks ago. I have just finished it today, and i got to say, she's got me on the edge of my seat. It's a trilogy. I'm waiting for more. And so, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Acts of Contrition. You are so welcome. It is always lovely to be here. Awesome. Great to have you. Some people literally told us, please find some way to make it happen. So (laughs) I'm glad you were cooperative with us, Kirsten. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I'll send her an email. She'll say yes, and we'll figure out a job. Chris, maybe we should start making this like something where like we we extract money from people. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe maybe if you throw a penny in the cup here, we'll be able to. Yeah, exactly. If you could, more power to you. Okay, well, you know, we had Protectors at the beginning of this year come out, and it was great because, one, this is the trilogy of books. Um, We're going to have Protectors, we have Acts of Contrition now, and then we'll have Atonement coming out next year. And so we haven't luckily had to wait too long to see what's going to happen. But I kind of wanted to ask, you know, when you're an author and you're writing a story and you realize that you are going to be kind of carrying that over 
into more than one book, how hard is it to kind of write that middle chapter because it's so dependent on what's come before and what'll come after? What's that like trying to make that a rounded enough story so people feel like they get enough, but also kind of teasing out the story enough so that there's, uh, you want more. Yeah. Well, you have to make decisions. I mean, it's, um, you know, like, uh, I was tempted in this book, for instance, not to reveal the, um, resolution of the Paris mediation. Arc. Oh God. If you hadn't, uh, I would have a- like, <laughs> yeah, and I you would have ripped out my heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, because that was, but but I but it really seemed clear to me after a while when I was sort of structuring the whole thing that no, that story is told here. The next part of Tom's story needs to be, you know, needs to begin in some place other than, you know, waiting to see where the mediation goes. Right. It was also a matter of, you know, there were a lot of stories happening here. I kind of, kind of more than I realized because. It was so clear to me when I was writing it and what everybody was doing and where they were Mm going to go and whatever that um, it it didn't seem like it was as complicated as readers are saying now. Wow, this is a really complex book. And I'm like, really? Okay, yeah. Well, now when Mm -hmm. I think about how many stories are going, yeah, I guess there it is. But, you know, for me, they were also all just bits and pieces of of the bigger story, mm-hmm. you know, one involving the Katomic plague and one involving the first contact mission. So, um, I don't know, to me, it didn't seem that complex, but as I was working through it, it, it became clear to me which parts of the stories I was going to have to leave hanging. And so I decided with the Paris story and a couple of other things to go ahead and, and, you know, really conclude those in a way, um, so that people would be paying attention to the sort of really big cliffhangers that I knew were coming at the end. It's not, I don't know. For me, the second book was not at all the hardest book of this trilogy. The third book was by far the hardest book I've ever had to write. And I did not expect that because normally when you're structuring a story, if you've set all your dominoes up in the right way, come the story's resolution, they just start falling down very naturally and you just go from thing to thing to thing and solve the problems. But that was just not the case here. And, um, and, uh, you know, eventually I sorted it out, but the, but the struggle of making that happen was unbelievable. And I, you know, I looked back on it in the end and I was like, wow, you know, book one of the trilogy, book two of the trilogy, no big deal. Book three just kicked my ass. And that, that was just completely unexpected, but you know, it will be a lesson learned. Should I ever attack something this big again? I'll know going in just how, challenging that that can be for you what uh what kind of made that third book uh, well you know obviously without giving away kind of the hardest was it because you had set so many things up or was it just that you felt like there wasn't that domino easy resolution well it was partially that there were a lot of things i had set up that i knew how they were going to fall but there were other things that required a certain amount of setup a certain amount of information had to come out before I could stop, start knocking them over. And once I realized how much time that took, um, I had less time to explore the ending than I had planned. So it became a matter of cutting stuff that I had planned as I went and rearranging a lot of things 
to make sure that everything still was clear and, and happened the way I needed it to happen, but had to be like tightened and streamlined in some ways. You know, and it was also a matter of, I knew what I wanted to, to talk about in that book. And there were two or three ways I had structured it before I finally settled on what we have that weren't going to give me any time to talk about those things. I could, I could tell part of the story in a really cool, fascinating way, but then there just wasn't going to be any time to do anything else. And that wasn't going to work for me either. So oh, it was just a constant exercise in cutting and trimming and refining and just, you know, uh, yeah, I do not look forward to <laughs> ever having to do anything like that again. That was just, ugh. You may not look forward to it, but I know that readers are hoping that you'll do it again. <laughs> well, we'll see. The next one I know for sure is a one-story book, so, you know. Um, yeah, and that's is that something where then were you able to have that because I I know that you do have a a, uh, a book that's going to be not a part of this trilogy is that where you did you shift some of the things to that book so there no. okay I just wondered no I needed to basically this was always going to be the end of year one and and I needed to wrap up completely everything that I had sort of begun so far. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that come up in this ending book that will continue forward because that sort of always happens with characters, you know? Right, um, right. But the story of that part of it has certainly been told. And you shouldn't walk away from atonement feeling like there's a whole lot more, there's anything more to what you've been building up to that okay. you know you need to know. No, that's I think that's great though because um you know obviously with all of the trek books especially in the 24th century there always kind of is a through line even if you know um it, it it's the a next story you know after a trilogy or something there is always a that character through line and and that's one of the things I think that so many people have of really resonated with your voyager books is that you are taking these characters on a journey and really making them grow like and and you can see the actual growth in the books and it's continuing on into the next book and as as a reader and you know somebody who just enjoys good uh tv shows obviously and and everything that's what you hope when you have a continuing series is that you're actually going to see characters progress um and it makes for such a rewarding storyline and uh, i I've, well it's certainly the idea yeah and it works well for you, I know that to you know each of your books has had some very interesting themes in them and talked about some very important things and 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 bringing up kind of some of the the social commentary that we see in Star Trek. For you, how does that come about? Is it, it is it come about um, naturally in the story writing process, or are there sometimes where you find you want to talk about something? How does that work for you as a writer? Well, when I'm at the very beginning of something, you know, uh, you get to write a new book. What do you want to do? Um, honestly, the first question I sort of ask myself is, what's making me angry right now? <laughs> <laughs> because, or what am I struggling with right now? And is there a way to translate that into a story that, you know, is appropriate for the characters that I have in the universe that I'm working in? And nine times out of ten, there's always a way. But that's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen midway through. Uh, like, oh, I'm here, I should talk about this. It's, it's really the genesis of each of these stories is um, 
something that's really bothering me because I, that's going to be good fuel for, you know, the amount of time it takes to develop a story and then to write it. Like, for instance, um, in Children of the Storm, I knew that I was going to be dealing with the, um, the children that Dave Mack had established in, I think it was the second Destiny book, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mere Mortals. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of thematically, what was I sort of going for? At the time, I just remember being so concerned about um, how information was coming in, into our lives, all the different sources that we had and all the different versions of reality that we were being presented with and how that made um, getting to truth incredibly difficult. Oh, yeah. And so that was sort of the, the kernel that began that whole journey. Well, and what I – oh, my gosh. So literally have an entire page of of things that just jumped out at me, you know, reading this book. And I, I loved all of them. And, and there are so many different issues that I was kind of picking up on and kind of seeing and where they kind of play into the world. And I love that it it connects with the best of what Star Trek does, you know, yeah. is help us to just think about our world in a way that can maybe make, you know, C.S. Lewis always talked about how myth can help us kind of think and think, think of things in a way that um, we couldn't find palatable before, but this mm-hmm. way we can, we can really understand it because we see it in new light. Um, right. As opposed to But it's a to very tricky telling, line to walk. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because, because handled a certain way, it, be, it can become almost like propaganda, you know, and, and that's not the point. So. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, and, and like, so one of the things here, you, I found the Federation at this point, you know, we're still here, not that far after Destiny. And they are still kind of reeling as a, as a, as an entire culture um, with mm-hmm. the, the revelation of the Kalar and the, the, the decimation of the Borg as they know it and the changing into something and, and thinking they may be gone forever, but who knows? And so, their immediate response in this has been in studying this catomic plague we find out and and guys spoilers here we're talking to kirsten we're just going to get into stuff so if you haven't read the book then finish the book first so we can we're going to get into some stuff now (laughs) yeah listen later (laughs) yeah Um, yeah so they they kind of they go into this whole process of trying to find a way to uh, basically, if they come up against the Kalar again, to find a way that they could beat them. Yeah. Um, and I, I, the way that that was happening was so scary with this commander and his group. The idea yeah. that they were like, it, and it it brought back the worst memories of some of the worst things we've ever done in human history yeah. of changing names of things to make unethical or immoral practice practices more palatable. Exactly. Um, and that we still do that today, like all yeah. over the place. Yeah, sadly we do, which um, is why we're still talking about it. Yeah. And, but I, I, what was scary was, is seeing that that be a part of the Federation. Well, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but they're all still just people. Yes. Yeah. Right. And uh, they have tools and technologies and, and certainly a wealth of experiences that, that we don't have yet. But at the end of the day, 
when your survival is at stake, um, it can be hard to tell where you're supposed to draw the line, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Destiny, you had Picard seriously considering a genocidal weapon. Mm-hmm. And it took his people standing up and going, yeah, that's not who we are, um, uh, to, to sort of force him to step back. So, you know, while you would hope or maybe imagine that folks as advanced ethically and morally and what have you as we believe the Federation to be um, would never come to something like that, when faced with something like the loss of 63 billion people, I think in some ways all bets are off, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's not difficult to draw the line to, you know, September 11, 2001, mm-hmm. and all the choices that we made after that to protect ourselves or in the name of protecting ourselves. Um, and I'm not sitting here saying, you know, all of those choices are wrong. What I'm saying is, can we look again at who we say we are and what we say we value and believe and, you know, consider those things as well before we make those choices? Right. Well, and and really kind of dealing with the idea of, you know, uh, okay, learning from the past and, and are we going to do that or are we just going to continue to kind of uh, make the same mistakes over and over again and pretend like right. it'll turn out better next time. Right. But at the same time, the fear is so real. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the the fear driving the commander mm-hmm. is not something that we look at and go, wow, I just don't understand that. Because we all live with that kind of fear and some, yeah. and people in positions of power and authority you know, who are theoretically responsible for all the rest of our lives, um, that fear has to be magnified even more so. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not about making their choices defensible, Mm -hmm. but maybe just casting some light on them in a way that makes them at least understandable, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and and that was something that I, I, I saw as this kind of theme running throughout the entire book, which was when fear leads, something wicked this way comes. I exactly, mean, yeah. You know, it, it, when fear is our leader, we are going to do terrible things in the name of our protecting ourselves uh, because yeah. we're leading with the worst part of ourselves instead of the best. Um, and, uh, you know, you see that all over the book, whether it's the Federation, um, whether it's... Uh, I think Paris's first instincts when he's there with his mother, you know, and how to deal with the situation. Um, Janeway's fighting it, you know, with um, uh, learning from her past and how not to do things, you know, and try mm-hmm. a different mm-hmm. way than she's done before. Chakotay's dealing with it as well, is trying to get used to this new Janeway and the way they used to do things in the the Delta Quadrant. And of course, uh, the Confederacy is dealing with it as well. Their their whole, you know civilization is rife with fear um and yeah. so i i just because of the choices that they have oh, made oh yeah exactly you know and because of where they came from i mean mm. all that stuff is part of it well and and it, it really kind of led to uh, some really interesting things as well like seeing that idea of like this kind of like rampant consumerism like everything is is viewed through the lens of that especially mm-hmm. with the confederacy um, and that, you know, that kind of greed over need idea, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and rampant corporate greed where they are willing to – the idea of, of you know, we're going to sacrifice the future for the present just because we're going to gain a little more. Yeah. 
and that short-sighted nature it, it 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 stuck out to me so much and was kind of so scary to see that because it it doesn't last and it leaves us nowhere we think <laughs> well yeah. i mean it leaves us with a you know up up a creek without a paddle i mean you know it, yeah it, it, in, you know i mean but 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 the fact of the matter is too we we as living here today haven't yet seen the other side of it. We can imagine yeah, it yes. and we assume it would be better, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. We haven't created it yet. With, um, with that too, that it was really interesting because in Star Trek, especially in, in deep space nine, um, I think we, it's one of the best shows in the series of kind of showing the, the, the beautiful power of belief, um, with the Bajorans and, and the way that it, it does a great job of their belief system, um, kind of galvanizing their people and bringing them together in a in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was really interesting um, seeing in this book. You know, the the there are also destructive powers of belief, um, and mm-hmm. we we see that a lot in Star Trek. But but here it was it, it was done really well, and I appreciated the kind of kind of the the way that you handled it because you know um, having the the Beta Z crew member talk about you know when he had been at other places of worship you know he really did feel something you know yeah um and that there was a presence there and and whether it was some sort of supernatural being or something like that that he actually felt something you know um and that just here there wasn't uh, anything Um, right and uh i thought that that was really cool because belief is something that is kind of um it it's hard to deal with and it's hard to deal with really well and i just appreciated that because um sometimes you know as a person of a belief you kind of i feel kind of like pushed to the side there but i didn't hear um uh yeah. because the belief system here it it wasn't it wasn't able to be challenged you know and grow yeah. stronger um so well and i tend i mean I tend to think of these things sort of on a continuum. Um, you know, you look at the beliefs that, that people have now and how, relatively speaking, a lot of them are very young. And, the, you know, how young those beliefs are tends to determine a lot about um, how they're lived, you know. Um, people with more distance from the inspiration of you know, what, whatever originally brought them together have certain perspectives on, on what they've learned and what they've experienced and how those beliefs can um, bring them to a better place and where it can lead them down dark roads. And, you know, the younger you are, um, the harder it can be to have that kind of perspective, you know. I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense to me for a character who lives in the Federation as we understand it to look at the belief systems of other cultures and go, well, that's just BS. I mean, we've been out here. We know that. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Um, because there are too many places where we have encountered genuine belief. And sometimes we get to see a little bit about what's behind that. And sometimes it remains a mystery. The, the bigger point is how whatever it is that you believe informs how you live your daily life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? right. And that's, that's the sort of the, the conversation that our characters are having. Mm. Yeah, and and I, you know, I think I think back to there's a great episode of uh, Doctor Who uh, where the where the Doctor's saying how there are some things that he sees in this universe that he can't explain, 
uh, because they mm-hmm. don't fit within his rules. You know, like mm-hmm. he's created rules for how he views the universe. And there are times when those rules are challenged because they don't fit within what he thinks the world, the universe looks like. And he says, you know, that's why I travel to be proven wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that in a lot of ways, that's kind of how I, I view Star Trek. You know, they're boldly going to to be proven wrong, you know, to find something new, to find something they never yeah. know. Uh, yeah. And it, it's great. I think that's something fans forget a lot of the time, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It, was, it was actually one of the funnest conversations to write in this story was the conversation between Harry and Maddox, mm-hmm. where Maddox was straight up asking him, you know, you have everything you need why are you out here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And for Kim, the answer was so obvious. It's like, what, do you, what else is there? You know? But to learn more. Well, Kim right. is the one who said that it's about the journey in the first place. Yeah. On the series. Yeah. I had forgotten that, but it, it must have stuck somewhere mm-hmm. in the back because it, he's still talking about it. Well, and what was so great about it is that, you know, that is just... What it really, I think, means to be human is that we want to know. And there's a danger in knowledge, uh, as much as people hated it. But I I, I, I really enjoyed the end of the the fourth um, Indiana Jones movie where um, the character wants to know uh, and she ends up dying because the knowledge that she wants shouldn't be hers. And Indy knows right. the difference between what's good knowledge and what he can let go. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's learned over the last three movies, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it, and that's kind of the neat thing too. That's what we see with our Star Trek characters as well, kind of figuring out, okay, what is it that they need to know, and what's better left to mystery, you know, and, right. and having the wisdom to mm-hmm. figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that completely. What are um, kind of talking through some of these issues? You know, I, I saw a couple of things like uh, the Confederacy reminded me a little bit of. Um, Heinemann's Starship Troopers ideas with its views of citizenship. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I was just wondering if there were some, uh, you you talked about things that kind of make you angry. That, were there some other influences that that you used at all um, when you were kind of thinking of this society other than obvious kind of our Western culture? Well, interestingly, I mean, a lot of people have made that comparison. They're like, oh, she's writing about the Confederacy as if it were us today. And that's not actually where I started from, and it's not actually where I intended to go. So mm-hmm. it's, I find it very interesting that people think that's where I landed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the concept that, that was behind all of this was fairly simple. <laughs> she said. Um, <laughs> in, it, it, it was really this. I, I see the Federation as sort of the logical end of the values that we sort of consider today to be progressive or liberal. Right. Mm. Um, we're apart from the realities of there's no, um, you know, there's no more money and there's, you know, no more. Well, there's illness, but there's not the kind of stuff that kills us today isn't killing us in the future. Um, and there's no more want and there's the most massive safety net you can possibly imagine. People live their lives uh, based on what they want to pursue and to better themselves and to better everybody around them as opposed to just what they can acquire for themselves. But it occurred to me that it would be possible for the Federation or any other organization like it to have gone down a different road um, and to still have thrived. So when I was thinking of the Confederacy, I was trying to create 
a federation-like organization where more conservative values had prevailed. But I didn't want to set them up just to shoot them down. What I'm really trying to do, and, and the point of the exercise for me, was to actually create an organization that could really have come from a place where it would make sense for them to really honestly and truly believe what they believed. And for those things to simply be, you know, obviously they're going to run counter to the values of the Federation, but it's not necessarily that either side is right or either side is wrong. Um, they believe what they believe because of where they came from and, and, and their values, um, you know, are really informed by, you know, stuff that could happen, you know, basically. Right. It's just that they've taken them to a different place than where where the Federation has gone. So I wanted to set those two systems up next to each other and try to figure out how do we work together? Because that is the challenge today, right? It, it, it feels like people who believe certain things sit on one side of the fence and people who believe other things sit on the other side of the fence and yeah, we're yeah. growing further and further and further apart. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. occurs to me is that's never going to get the job done. Right. So how do we work together without denying our own beliefs and values um, and, or simply trying to destroy the other group's beliefs and values, right? Mm -hmm. And where is reality between those two things? I mean, that's the yeah. other difficult and frustrating question. Right. When 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 two when two different groups of people are living in absolutely different versions of reality, how do you come to one reality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you can move forward from there? So, you know, it was a small question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a great question, and, though. Um, but uh, but it was, you know, at the time, the thing that was and still is, you know, kind of pissing me off. So. Well, and it, it is, I think, the thing that, that bothers me the most as well, you know, when I think about it, and, and it's, eh, I hate to say this, but it's just kind of what's turned me off to politics in general, um, mm -hmm. because in years, nothing's really happened, nothing's getting done, because everybody's just entrenched in, we, we want to yeah. keep what power we have, right? instead of what's really good for the people that we serve, right? Um, and it's it's so frustrating, you know, because there is so much that does need to happen and nothing yeah. can happen because everybody's just kind of locked in a, in a uh, political power war that's mm -hmm. turned into kind of a popularity contest in the end. And um, right. it's, yeah, I can completely see why you, you, you know, you would be frustrated as well. And I, that's one of the things that I just liked about this book is like, you were just pointing these things out and, you know, you weren't pointing fingers right or wrong, you know, but it was more like, okay, uh, let's open our eyes and, and ask for something different. Yeah. Um, and. Or just to say, you know, this is what is. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Does that work for you? Yeah. If it does, all right. If it doesn't, what what are we going to do different? What are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. You right. know, and there was, there there have been other commentaries where people were like, well, you know, the typical Voyager thing to do, or in some ways the typical Trek thing to do, would be to come across something that is just completely unacceptable, to say, wow, this totally doesn't work for us, uh, to make the big speech and to turn around and leave. Right, right. And the, 
the challenge for me was to constantly say, no, we're not going to walk away from this. We're going to keep moving through this until we come to some kind of a conclusion that is helpful. You know, right. which uh, you don't get until the third book, but there you go. <laughs> well, and, and that's, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat waiting for it now. So thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, no, Kirsten, I tell you, but before we recorded, Matthew sent me an iMessage and he said, Kirsten is blowing me away with this book. <laughs> so he really is on the yeah, edge of his seat was, right was, now and he's hearing these teasers like, about the next thing i was finishing i was finishing it today and just enjoying <laughs> the heck out of it and and then of course it just ends and uh i i was so thankful that you had ended at least one story some way you know with, yeah, with the paris yeah. story like if you hadn't done that i would have just been like no <laughs> like darth vader you know when he finds out padme's dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, oh, in one of my in one of the versions of my outline, the mediation stuff ended with before we got the ruling. Okay, yeah. And and I as I was working, I was just like, nah, I have to, I have to, I just, I can't. <laughs> I have to I, I appreciated that. that. I, I appreciated that. Well, and and okay, so kind of a, this idea uh, I, I really saw was. You know, a lot of people think that just because they've made mistakes in the past and they move forward that they've actually learned something. Um, right. But but learning something and, and changing are completely different than just, you know, oh, I had a mistake and I moved past it. You know, it, it, it takes active uh, thought and, and, and contemplation about what happened and then uh, an actual reversal or change or, or, or to, to move forward and do something different the next time. Yeah, I mean, what, the problem is when you get to the next time, you can't act out of habits anymore. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to know that that's probably the wrong choice, but the reasons that you acted that way in the first place tend to be informed by everything that came before it in your life. Mm-hmm. So finding a way out of those old patterns is really the challenge. Well, and, and it was so interesting to kind of see um, Matting's, you know, talking with Kim and coming to that realization that his society hasn't been learning and, yeah. and, and, and actually changing. Like they've just been holding on to the past because this is what we've always done mm-hmm. without actually asking any questions. But could we do it better? You know, I mean, yeah. Well, what they did just save we, them. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, they were about to be extinguished and they saved themselves. And so it doesn't seem like a bad idea to continue to, to, to stick with what works, mm-hmm. you know, but it is, it's made it impossible for most of them to see um, that the, the universe has changed around them. Mm. And, you know, in the absence of these existential threats, what do we do? You know? Yeah. Well, and that's, I loved that. It, counter to that was watching Janeway actively being different um, mm-hmm. because she is is consciously choosing to not act out of her old habits. That's right. And I thought, well, okay, this is fantastic. You know, we've deconstructed uh, Kathy last time and now she's she's really moving forward. And, and I just... Oh, I was like, I wanted to stand up and applaud, but then there was nobody to applaud to. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I do think that I think we I feel like we talked last time about how Mm -hmm. how important it is for these new revelations to inform the Mm -hmm. future. Right. Um, It's not enough just to have 
these great sort of epiphanies and then go back to the way things were. But it's also, you know, part of that is placing her in situations where it's very tempting and would be very easy to go back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. And to have people around her making the valid points, you know. Right, I mean, right. I don't think in there's in the scenes toward the end where Catherine and Farkas and Cambridge are debating how to move forward. They're not wrong. That, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that moving away now and cutting our losses is a bad choice, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's to it's to Janeway's credit and also part of her evolution as a character that she's willing to stick it out. You know, I mean, yeah. we've seen that stubborn streak in her before, but this time it's not informed by just irrational, you know, I'm just going to do what I think I have to do. It's, it's considering the much bigger picture mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and whether or not, you know, any sacrifices involved would be worth it considering what's really at stake here. Well, and, and I, what I loved too, is that, you know, she isn't just trying to make a decision and move forward. She's also trying to see, okay, what are going to be the ramifications of this decision? Because she's seen, you know, in her past that she hadn't necessarily thought about that. And yeah. she felt the weight of, you know, 63 billion people on her shoulders. Um, right. And I, I you know, I, gosh, if, if I felt that as well, I'd, I think I might just, you know, crawl under a rock and hide for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I think there but, are a lot of people who would. And the yeah. reason she's a hero is because she doesn't. Exactly. And and that strength to, to, to move. And I think that's too where um, with, with Tom Paris and, you know, he's coming smack, uh, you know, face to face with all of his baggage. You know, yep. this, this guy has, is somebody, and I, I just, I realized reading your book why I've resonated with Tom ever since Voyager was was on, um, and 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 now through your books too is just we're quite similar and being kind of the these you know black sheep of the family and and, and making mistakes that were our own fault um, mm -hmm. and you know having to live with letting the people down that that love you mm -hmm. uh, and getting to the point where they didn't necessarily believe in you anymore um, yeah. And, uh, he has to come face. I mean, and, and I can, again, resonate so much with how he has tried to move forward and to let that past go, but his past just keeps coming up and smacking him back over the head, you know, and this yeah. time it's from the one person who's always been on his side and it's his mom. And I think it hurts him to the very core and it just... It was heart wrenching to to read those scenes. Like I, I was literally tearing up in in, in that. It, it just it hurt to to, yeah. to to hear that and see that because I, I I've felt that and I've even had those conversations. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's funny because you know one of the questions that's sort of been hanging over a lot of the books um, is what is the deal with Tom Paris? You know, <laughs> we've seen a lot of other characters really make big movements and big growth and big mm -hmm. changes. But mm -hmm. I've still had readers coming back to me and going, why is Tom Paris the first officer? I mean, who, how did we know somebody else gave him that job, but really what's going on here? And, you know, the, the weird thing for me has always been like, I've just always felt Tom Paris in the place where he is now. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. mm -hmm. like immediately after the events of Destiny and going through everything he had to go through to save his family 
and making those incredibly difficult choices and then having it turn out right, right. has brought him to a place of self-confidence and self-awareness um, that, to me, didn't need any more comment. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I'm like, I'm what? I don't understand what you're worried about. He's there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and, you know, I was a little bit concerned when I decided to do the whole, you know, mediation plot that people wouldn't be able to see in this story how taking it personally instead of tying uh, a story of his development and growth to a more sci-fi issue or a more, um, you know, on the ship kind of issue. Um, I didn't know if people were going to sit still for that, basically, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and there was a lot of comments after Protectors about, oh, we love everything about the book except this dumb, you know, child custody plot. I mean, that's not yeah. even Star Trek. Who cares? And and so I was a little bit um, – I was afraid actually going into this. I knew the story I was going to tell and what mm-hmm. I had to do with it. But I just wasn't really sure that uh, people were going to be able to relate to it. And fortunately, most of the comments that I have heard thus far um, – say quite the opposite that that it really did work for them so i'm i'm really pleased about that well and i i think i'm with you you know i remember you know when we're on the same message boards there at at trek bbs and i I remember talking about tom years ago and 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 saying like you know i felt like he could be a first officer and everything and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and people just kind of scoffing at me Mm -hmm. um and I didn't, I'm with you. I didn't understand. I, I've always kind of seen Tom to be this good guy. You know, he's yeah. just, he, he has, you know, he's one of those people. He, he's, he has to learn the hard way. Um, but once he learns, he, he is somebody who wants to move forward and he has a good heart and, um, and he did he, move forward. I mean, of all yeah. the characters on oh, Voyager, yeah. he had the most complete arc yes. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, From where he started to where he ended up married yeah. with a child and, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, with the respect and of all of his peers. Yeah. And I mean, for yeah, goodness definitely. sake. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, that's yeah. why, that was... I mean, for me, Tom is my favorite character on Voyager. And it surprised me because I didn't feel that way at the start of the show, of course. But when I got to the end, it's just what you said. You know, he is the character. He and the Doctor have the, the complete mm-hmm. arc, the more complete arcs anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, when Shaw tells him, yes, they all said the same thing. If Tom Paris needs me for any reason, I'm there. And yeah. I mean, when like the Delaney sisters are coming out of the woodwork to come help yeah. Tom, yeah. I mean, you just, you know, the impact that this man has had. Um, yeah. And it was, again, I'm like, that was my favorite line of the book. I, I, yeah. I was tearing up at that point. It was a beautiful thing to see this man have been where he's been and and come to this point and and be fighting for his family and then the the when when they clear the room and it's just him and Julia talking mm-hmm. and he's he finally gives her that stern talking to yeah um with love about why he is a good father and what he'll yeah. do for his child and 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 how his he learned from his dad's mistakes and I was yeah. just like that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen uh, yeah. for a character so yeah hands down it was it was honestly my favorite part of the book <laughs> because <laughs> well, I, and i know that sounds strange in a star trek book to have you know family court law be the favorite, favorite part, <laughs> right but it was so the character growth <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah well and and it was and this is something that struck me because 
you know, we talk about, you know, the, the Federation kind of seems like, especially in the next generation, this, this utopia and people are perfect. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons that some people, when they read these books and they have these kind of things happen is people are just as flawed as ever in Star Trek. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, just because yeah. they have all this technology and have all, it, the core of who we are is 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 you know flawed beings yeah. who are all trying to to learn and grow, at least hopefully most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that that doesn't mean relational troubles don't happen. Yeah, 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 and 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 a lot of it too is that you know Tom as a character when when you talk about that moment of everybody's there for him. The reason it resonated the way it did is because he had earned that. Yeah. You know, yep. if we just make that happen without everything that's come before it, without watching him hold it all together back in those early days at the Azure Nebula for crying out yep. loud. Yep. You know, the ship is blown to pieces. Chakotay's a mess. Harry's dying. Mm. Yep. And he's mm. the guy putting one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. to, to get them home. Yeah with one freaking well, cell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I so, think of, I mean, when they're back in the Delta Quadrant and he's the one who's creating holodeck programs for people to enjoy and he's doing right. it for himself, but he's also doing right. it for everybody else because we yeah. need a diversion. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he, he is certainly a great character and, and this was a lot of, I mean, it's hard, but it was, it was, it was very gratifying mm-hmm. to write. To yeah. just be able to sort of strip mm-hmm. everything away and say, look, this is just who this guy is. Yeah. You know, and also to have him have the have the still deep-rooted love and awareness for both of his parents. I mean, just because yes. they made mistakes doesn't mean he loves them less. Mm-hmm. You know, he of all people understands that we're doing the best that we can. We're going to screw up possibly more than a lot of time, you know. <laughs> right. And... But but God, if everybody walked away from him the minute he screwed up, where would he be? Mm-hmm. He is who he is because they stood by him. Right. And so, you know, to be able to look at his mom and go, this is not you just calling me out on all of these choices. This is you in excruciating pain. And mm-hmm. let's get past this so that I can help you with the real problem, you know, which is where you are right now in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and- and I I think Tom is, and I I just I see myself in that you know when you've been through really hard things it's a lot easier for you to I think be forgiving of others yes because I agree. you know how much you've been forgiven and yes. it's a it's a very actual I, I in the end it's a it's a it's a very spiritual principle you know um, mm-hmm. so I, I I think Tom really uh, is somebody who just exemplifies that kind of self sacrificial love because he understands that um, he's needed a lot of people to love him sacrificially because he's been a hard person to love for a lot yeah. of his life yeah uh, and it's beautiful when you can see a character make that turn to be able to yeah. to start giving that back. But, you know, the other part of this, too, that I really enjoyed was just that one scene he had with Frist, where mm-hmm. for like oh, one God, day he yes. was pulled back into the mission. Yep. And he had to sit down and, you know, figure out what was going on with Seven or mm-hmm. at least get as much intelligence as he could. And watching the way he handled that um, was also part of that growth, in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. It, it reminds us that this is a guy who, who is part of a Starfleet family mm-hmm. who has been steeped in this tradition, you know, his entire yeah. life and who really does understand how to work on a political level as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a huge scene. I remember like, again, I want to kind of stand up and cheer because he is like, just, he is poning her in this political game, like just owning her every step of the way yeah. of, you, you know, she makes her move and he's like three moves ahead already. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like, okay, this is a character that I can't, I mean, I, I want to see Tom basically as the captain of Voyager one day or his own <laughs> ship, you know? Well, he's you know just, what? He, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever get there. That, you know, but, 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 but that, that's absolutely the truth of, 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 of all of the characters. In a lot of ways, Tom is the best suited, mm-hmm. I think, to someday sit in that chair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, gosh, it would it would be awesome. So, and who knows? Yeah, it's a, that's a long time from now because yeah, book life is is very long. You're right, moves pretty darn slow. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think yeah, Robbie Duncan McNeil is wishing he looked as as good as he does uh, as Tom Paris in, in in the books these days. So, I wish I looked <laughs> that good. Jeez. Uh, anyway, so I, one of the things too that that I thought was just hands down very cool in this book was you know we talk a lot and 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 fans have this we always talk about the prime directive uh, yeah. especially when we're going to have first contact missions but the way that you kind of deconstructed the prime directive in the sense of how it's going to affect an entire society to be given certain types of technology and yeah. how that will revocably change you know a ton of dominoes are going to fall. Um, I thought really helped me understand the prime directive in a way that I've not understood it before. And that was something that I really appreciated. So typically I think we see the prime directive as a massive roadblock, right? Right. We come across a, a situation we would really like to fix and we have the technology to fix it, but we are forced by this directive that seems nonsensical Mm -hmm. at times to hold back, even if that means letting people suffer and die and Mm -hmm. whatever. And seeing the value of the other side of that, um, why that might be the worthwhile choice to make has always been challenging. Um, So, you know, in this story, it's never, it's it's no longer about the, should the prime directive exist? Mm -hmm. It's more a matter of, gosh, you know, what are the real implications of altering civilizations, even civilizations as technically as va- mm-hmm. as advanced as we are? Right. Um, because, you know, as Janeway sort of comes to realize through all of her interactions with these folks, it's not a matter of technology. It's a matter mm-hmm. of will. And it's right. a matter of self-identity and self-definition. And it's a matter of power and who has it and who needs it. It's It's way more involved than just, oh, here, have a replicator. Right. You know? Right. Well, and there's a huge part of that, too. I was thinking, you know, the Federation and and its allies have earned this technology by growing into it. But if the Confederacy is just given these things and and, and hasn't necessarily earned that technology, there's a huge gap there. 
um, yeah. about responsibility and just being able to necessarily handle it as a civilization because you know right. one that's created it like they were talking about too you know just with warp drive technology and they haven't needed it so they haven't focused on it right. and what a society needs it will generally learn how to produce mm-hmm. um and just that's a whole other issue there with the prime directive that you know again we don't necessarily talk about a lot but being played out here i just thought was really well done and again kind of a for me an eye opener of of some of the real implications of of this philosophy and why it really is so important because you know we even see the way that technology is changing our lives yeah. And yeah, we have earned that technology because we've created it ourselves, but we still don't really understand how, you know, camera phones and sexting are, you know, working on our kids yet because yeah. it's all new. Well, the, the sad thing is we don't really need to understand it a whole lot better than we do now. It's not uh, very yeah. good. Yeah, you know, exactly. But how, do just, you, right. how do you justify not giving a mm-hmm. child a cell phone when there are legitimate safety concerns and reasons why mm-hmm. it's appropriate for them to have one? Right. But right. then deal with all of the other stuff that comes with that, you know, and you're handing it to them in a time when they really can't be expected to act as responsibly as you would hope they would. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, and then there's all the stuff that goes on in social media with bullying and all this just yeah. heartbreaking, yep. you know, it's like the, the reach of evil has gotten so much larger thanks mm-hmm. to this technology. Yeah. Um, and our ability to counter it seems to be scurrying to catch mm-hmm. up in a way that's kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it just goes to show um, the the importance then of, and this is where it kind of comes back, you know, with, with um, somebody like Tom, who's going to be a good father, you know, and, and wants to be there for their kid, you know, and, 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 and be somebody hopefully will help talk those things through and be somebody that their kid wants to talk to, you know, yeah. uh, as much as possible. And I, I think that's the importance of uh, just being a good parent, you know, and, and being involved and with your kid and knowing what's going on with them and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, and and yeah. even more so today, just because like you said, the, the ability for them to stumble into something that we is going to harm them. It, is just on an extreme magnitude as compared to before. And uh, technology comes with good and bad things. And I liked just seeing in the book talking about the ways that technology um, can have a great influence on society and it can also, it could have a, a harmful impact on society if, if you're not careful. So, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, is crazy. Uh, having as we've talked through just all of those different issues but it's amazing how they all kind of roll i mean you you start on one and it kind of leads into something else you know like uh, um it it, it's i don't know i just i felt like reading this book it was so much a picture of um reality today and and Mm -hmm. um and I, I just liked seeing that because it, it, it made me stop and think. And I hope that it will make others stop and think um, yeah. because I think that's what the best sci-fi does for us um, and, and always yeah. has done for us and will continue to do for us with, with great writers. So, oh, yeah, well, thank you. 
Oh, you're welcome. Um, okay, now we get to the part of the show where I see what I can pry out of you from <laughs> atonement. Um, so we do know that atonement's coming, and and um, we know that, and, and this is great, you've you've let everybody know that you are going to be wrapping up this part of the story. Um, mm-hmm. Everything, it won't be in a neat bow because there's still plenty of things that will happen in the Delta Quadrant um, as you continue to write, because we know there will be another standalone book coming. But any other tidbits you might be able to get a, us about any of those? In terms of what's coming in atonement? Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we know, because we do know, I mean, seven. I think listeners just turn their volume up, Matthew. Yep, mm-hmm. seven's <laughs> seven's figured out what's going on. Um, she's which. Wow, you threw me for a loop there. Um, that did, did you uh, know the, the whole time she was in in? Well, I, I hate I, to. I bought it hook, line, and singer sinker oh, that that you. Uh, but then I realized I was like he wasn't lying to Tom the whole time. She wasn't a stasis pod, and I was sitting there thinking, oh, he's just lying to Tom. Yeah. Um. And then no, it wasn't. And you, I should have figured it out. I should mm-hmm. have, but mm-hmm. no, I, I, yeah, that. I'm sad to say I didn't. So that's just how good Kirsten is. Well, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, because you know, I that was. It's more fun to me if I don't figure it out and I just can enjoy the surprise. Exactly. Although there there are readers who have expressed frustration with that storyline. In fact, that's that's the most uh, critical that people have been of. Oh, really? Everybody's like, oh, all this is you know great, but then God, what was the dumb deal with Seven? And who loves Seven the most? And who cares? And, And I'm just like, wow, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, and to me, um, what you know, just that storyline I thought was really interesting because, you know, it made sense for Seven to have this struggle, you know, yeah. um, because the the way any of you even kind of explained it in the book, you know, this is Seven's first love, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they never got to really experience that love. And then, of course, the, what she's experiencing here, and she doesn't know it, that but it's mm-hmm. all in his his special, like, you know, new Unimatrix 002. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it creates this bond that she's never, ever felt before. But at the same time, she's also feeling that she knows when she leaves, she still belongs to Hugh at the same time and, like, having to figure that out. And I, I had to realize to myself, I had to pull myself out and say, look, Seven is still a baby in a lot of ways in these things. Yeah. And so, of course, yeah. this is going to happen to her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not sure where the disconnect is with that character. I think that there are, I think that there are people who were sort of inclined to not like her for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. um, throughout the run of the show. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, she's still, like you said, a baby. I mean, she's just right at the very beginning of so many experiences that are critical. And I don't know yet where it's all going to go. I'm just doing with her what I do with everybody else, which is taking it one step at a time. Where is she now? What's worthwhile for her to explore now? As much as it's not, you know, people say it's about who loves Seven most. It's really not. It's about mm-hmm. Seven figuring out who she right. is still. Right. You know? I mean, she's only been severed from the collective for how many years now? Like eight? Well, yeah. Like this is just and not then- a long time. Yeah, huge and dramatic change. And most of her time during those years has been spent trying to make sure the galaxy didn't end, yeah. you know, around her. <laughs> so, it, you know, to take to take a little bit of time here to let her breathe and sort of be like, wow, who who am I and who do I want to be and what what's important to me, you know? 
I, I really want to sing right now, but I'm not going to because I was just reminded of the great song from Les Mis, Who Am I, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew sings on almost every show these days, yeah. Kristen. So you're <laughs> setting him up right there. If you need a minute, go ahead. It just felt so right to go, who am I? Mm-hmm. I'm seven of nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, so... So, but in terms of atonement, you know, the, the, this story for Seven was sort of put on hold, you know, while mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. experienced all that stuff and learned a whole bunch of stuff. Right. You know, learned more about her ketones and how they work, which she really did need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously in the third book, we're going to resolve that whole yeah. situation. Um, and hopefully in a way that people don't expect, but, you know is very um, um, satisfying, plausible, we'll say. Um, and then obviously uh, the, uh, the, the, the Voyager fleet story that's still mm-hmm. in the Delta Quadrant and still with the Confederacy is going to have their hands full because mm-hmm. after realizing that an alliance was really probably not a good idea at this stage in the game, they're effectively forced into one. Um, right in order to deal with the the thing that has been behind all of these ships massing at the at mm-hmm. the gateway of the confederacy the whole time and nobody knew it obviously until now mm-hmm. so um which yeah, I was a great reveal a while ago I... that we would be resolving the whole megan yes. arc and so here we go mm-hmm. yeah that was great and and that was something that i started to kind of sense was coming because I knew you had said that but I loved yeah. the reveal it was just fantastic uh to to finally okay we 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 have you had set her up so long ago and let her go and I love that you kind of let that storyline kind of languish for a little bit in other books mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. then in some ways you know when you get to at this point some people may have forgotten and so then mm-hmm. they go oh my god mm-hmm. so you know, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I think people who are people who've been paying a lot of attention who and who've heard me talk were probably, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, well, she said Megan was coming. Where's Megan? Yep. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, I mean, looking back, people like back in the day, you know, when Unworthy was first coming out, they were so frustrated that that story mm-hmm. wasn't resolved at the end of that book, and I was like, right, that's a really big story. I mean, you know, I'm not going to wrap it up in ten pages and be like, yeah, we shot her down and she died, and that was nice. You know, to me, how much more interesting to take a character who has been, you know, out of things for several thousands of years and plop Mm -hmm. them down in a place. And what would they realistically do? Well, whatever they're going to do, it would take them some time. Yeah. You know, for sure. So by giving her that, I'm able to set the stage for this story in a way that I think, again, is more plausible and makes more sense. And, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it was great too because uh, I I loved Tom's uh, resolution to go and try and and um, he it sounds weird to say this but I guess win his mom back um, yeah and and that he wasn't going to you know that the judge said this could be the end of everything and you guys may never talk again but his resolution yeah. is is to not let that happen and I, again that was to me like that that was the final part of of Tom was the final scene with him there in the book was that he he really is um such a man to look up to at this point like somebody i think his father would be proud of um yeah. and 
somebody hopefully that his mother will be proud of as she kind of um, is able to let go of her hurt. Uh, yeah. And so. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, you I, know, it's, we've talked before about how a lot of these characters that are in our main characters' lives, but we don't see all the time, um, sometimes we sort of pick up their stories in weird places mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever. But the thing for me is that they're always, like, living their lives in the background. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So, yep. um, so for me, even had that been Tom's inclination, just say, screw mm-hmm. it, I'm going home and, you know, yeah. figure it out. Like, I could never have let Julia just lie there. Right. <laughs> you know Hell what yeah. I mean? Um, because the point of this story for her was not really about getting her grandchildren back, you know, or getting or getting custody. Of them. I mean, that's the sort of the, the tool that she used. But it was really about this explosion of her need and her pain. Mm-hmm. And right. what are we going to do with that? You know? Yep. So, yeah. So there's more Julia to come for sure. Yeah. Um, and what else? Um, yeah, Megan, the Confederacy, hmm. the plague, the doctor, the doctor has a big role oh, the in, doctor. uh, in the resolution of atonement. Um, and he's, he's had a rough time of it lately. I feel, I feel bad for yes, him. Yes, he has. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And it was, it was interesting in this whole book, kind of watching him deteriorate, yeah. um, you know, to the point that he gets and, you know, it's coming at by the end it's going to happen that he's he's just going to be non-functional and um and and i'm so interested to see where you do go with his character with that because you know he has somebody who's grown so much and we talk about him being a sentient life form but then there were some scenes in the book where where they are we're talking about him and and the things that you know either barkley could do um to his character, you know, without him even knowing, um, yeah. or, or, um, you know, Chakotay or, you know, the, having those kind of thoughts. And I was just thinking, this is, this is just such an interesting discussion because it, it's not so clear cut and dry about how uh, a, you know, a hologram comes to be sentient. You know, it, it, it makes a little bit more sense, I think in my mind for data because he's not tied to anything. But, you know, the doctor always needs to be tied to a computer system um, mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a holographic matrix. And, and mm-hmm. so I just I love that. And I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see where we go with this whole story with the doctor, because he, he is one of those characters who just keeps evolving. And, um, you know, kind of having him be um, referenced a little bit in Jeff Lang's book, mm-hmm. uh, latest book about, um, you know, data and having to deal with Moriarty and Vic and the doctor and all that kind of stuff and talking about holographic rights again mm-hmm. a little bit. I, it got me interested again to see what, what we're going to have happen with him. Well, part of what's challenging there is the fact that he's, we see him do all of these amazing things, right? Because of the skills that he's been given in his program mm-hmm. and whatever. And so we, we, we have this image of this like fully grown, developed, sentient thing, right? Mm-hmm. And we sort of think we know what that is. Well, he's a man and he's, you know, whatever. But, one of the things that um, I was confronting in atonement as I was really settling down to work through all of this was, okay, but he's 11, right? He's right. only been functioning for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And even though he's got all of these skills, how do you program the emotional maturity to deal with stuff that goes beyond that? I mean, you mm-hmm. can't, right? Right. That's part of the interaction of his sentience 
with his experiences and whatever. And Mm -hmm. he hasn't had that many, you know. So for all of the people around him to be treating him like a child in some ways makes sense because from their point of view and in terms of their lifetime experience, he Mm -hmm. is one, you know. Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, his, his there's there's a lot more of the doctor coming in in the mm. third book, um, as well as, of course, Dr. Sherrick and yes, uh, that was a Sam great storyline. Um, and Echeb. I loved seeing Sam back. It, she was one of those characters that, uh, a little bit like on Enterprise where we had um, uh, Crewman Cutler and, of course, you know, uh, Kelly Waymeyer passed away and, and we weren't able to have her on the show anymore, but she was a great side character to, to just have, you know, be there in the in the background and then you could have whenever you needed her i yeah. always loved sam wildman as a character and i wish they had had her kind of be involved even more on voyager so i love when she pops up in the books yeah yeah i love her character too and and somehow i didn't i didn't anticipate it but putting her with sherrick ended up being the absolute best thing i could have possibly done um something about the way those two work together it was just really really fun Last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, talk about kind of writing Sherrick's dialogue when he's speaking to Marion, because that was one of the most interesting things uh, in you know, the book. And it, were you having to create in your mind entire stories behind that so you could make sense yeah. of what he was saying? Yeah, I was. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I sat that's, down, I literally sat down with the script from Darmok and mm-hmm. I wrote out every single phrase in Tamarian that we know exists. And there was somewhere I found like the, the original writers like translation mm-hmm. of what those phrases sort oh, okay. of meant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and where those didn't exist. I sort of created my own based on the context that they were used in whatever. And then, you know, I had to start making up my own and I've had to do some of that, you know, uh, from time to time up to this point right. mm-hmm. for him. And, you know, they were always sort of little throwaways and, you know, whatever, who cares? Right. It's but, easier that way. Yeah. But now I had to actually have you as a reader be able to follow them, to have them make mm-hmm. some sort of sense, even though you were going to have no idea, Yeah, you know, what exactly. my version of those stories are. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, – it was funny because when I told my editor that I was going to do that scene – um, she was like, I have been waiting years and years and years for somebody to step up and That's do that. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and I was, I was happy with how it turned out. I mean, you, you have to cheat, right? You can't have them just spend the whole time in, in Tamarian cause you'll, oh, yeah. you'll lose everybody. Um, yep. but, uh, but yeah, I was really, really happy with that. And then I was really having Sam try to learn it and then having mm-hmm. her throw out her own little phrase. Yep. I mean, it was just, Which was great. It was, yeah. That's yeah, what that I thought cool. was really cool because, you know, we, we've all seen Darmok and, and we've never really experienced that race again um, that yeah. much. And to see, you know, a, a Starfleet character uh, really take on and, and try and kind of understand what, what uh, you know, Tamarian was saying again mm-hmm. um, and, and be okay with not just trying to let the Universal Translator translate for them, but really get their 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 thought process down. I just thought that was so cool. And, and, and really kind of what Star Trek is all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have atonement coming out and then we, I know you have one more Voyager book. Um, 
are you going to be continuing to write with Voyager, hopefully, after that uh, that next one, after Atonement? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of... The, the one after Atonement, because Atonement is written. We still have to go through all the production issues on it, mm-hmm. um, but it's done. And I'm now actually physically writing the next one. Uh, the outlines okay. are done and approved, and I'm, I'm actually in the writing of the manuscript now. Excellent. Uh, so in that one, which is it, the working title is A Pocket Full of Lies, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. <laughs> um, it, uh, we're really setting the stage for um, the second year. Okay. And and what some of our challenges are going to be. So mm-hmm. it's a self-contained story in that uh, it's got a very definite, you know, problem that we're going to resolve. Um, and it's, but it's bringing in a lot of new issues and races and um, and again, sort of taking what we think we know about Voyager and the impact that they had mm-hmm. uh, in in a whole different area of the Delta Quadrant and. Okay. And going back and saying, "Wow, what what really, what really happened here?" Mm, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm. so yeah, and it's certainly, you know, from there, um, again, I've opened a, a bag of worms. So awesome. <laughs> that's we great. could never go back there, or we could continue to to work through some of that stuff. And I, I but I, but I definitely see um, that. You know, mm-hmm. continuing on from from there, uh, there'll be more of a need to do several sort of standalone okay. um, adventures that that deal with Excellent. various things before we would begin to really um, let the momentum that's going to be kicked off in that book build and then resolve. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really kind of cool. like we did with Megan. Yeah, that's great though. I, I, I for me, that's so exciting, and I know uh, for all the listeners who who have enjoyed the the Voyager series. Um, that's, I, I couldn't ask for, for anything more. I know they couldn't either because, uh, I really just enjoy this series. What I, I do wish is that before the book came out, you had a watch list and you were like, okay, you should probably go back and watch this episode, this episode, this episode, <laughs> this episode, um, <laughs> so that you can remember, you know, this alien race and this one and this one and this one. Cause I find sometimes, you know, you'll reference all these things from Voyager and I'm like, Oh, thank God we have a memory alpha because if I didn't have that, I couldn't remember because, you know, we'd have like one race a week and and Mm -hmm. then we'd move on to the next race most of the time in Voyager. So trying to I can't remember them all. I mean, it's (laughs) I'm not that good. So um, it makes me want to go back and watch, you know, the episodes with like the Voth and things like that, just because I want to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Tempting to do something like that but also i feel like it might give it away oil in some yep. ways i think probably yeah. better to mm-hmm. to yeah. just read it and then if you want to remember go back and yeah and take a look again and hopefully don't catch me doing anything wrong no <sighs> I, that, that's not what i'm doing it for i just was like, <laughs> no, I, know. You know, I haven't seen I know. that voth episode in like forever you know just to be cool to see that again so Okay, uh, where can uh, people find you online, and and um, and uh, is there anything else that's coming out of your work uh, that that people need to know about other than the uh, you know obviously acts contrition 
And then, of course, we have um, Atonement coming out next year and then another Voyager book after that. Have you been working on anything else? Uh, No, there aren't enough hours in the day to work on anything else (laughs) at this point. I mean, there are, (laughs) yes, other projects that I would like to take a crack at, but um, the way my contracts have been you know, set up, mm-hmm. I've basically moved straight from one to the next. Okay. And this one will be done in February. And, um, you know, we'll see, I guess, what uh, what my editors want to do after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. You know, yeah. That's fantastic. So, but and uh, yeah, know... again, still the only place to really find me if you're looking online is the Trek BBS. Yes, which is awesome. Um, I can't give the listeners your name there because this is a family-friendly show. Um, (laughs) But if you want to know how Kirsten Beyer is referred to there, uh, let's just say it's it's fracking awesome. So uh, check it out. Um, Well, Kirsten... I have to say, you know, it, it's just a joy to have you on every time and, and your your just vivacious attitude towards Voyager and, and the way that you deal with these characters. Uh, I, I know and I have seen, you know, how the listeners respond and obviously how the readers respond on um, the message boards and just people I talk to on Twitter. Um, you know, we love and appreciate all that you've done for a show that for me, wasn't my favorite, had some favorite characters in it. And it's just, it's just become the highlight of the year, uh, in Trek books. So, um, I'm hoping and praying that you continue to write them for a a long time coming. Well, thank you. You know what? One little spoiler teaser did just occur to me for atonement. Mm -hmm. If you'd like it. Yeah, uh, he's got his fingers <laughs> going right now. Tell me, tell I'm me. I'm doing my <laughs> So, So you know how in each of these books we've had um, sort of cameo appearances by um, characters from other series mm-hmm. um, yeah. that have sort of come back or whatever, like we had Picard. Yes, in, um, mm-hmm. And then obviously in this one it was the, the real sort of fun was the whole expansion of the Tamarian thing. Uh, yes. So for the first time in Atonement, I got to write uh, for Garrick. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Was Una jealous because... Oh, I, I don't know, think she was uh, jealous, nor do I think Una ever has a reason to be jealous. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I know how she feels about her Garrick, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but she was helpful, that's, incredibly that's helpful. That's so awesome, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I got in touch with her before I made the decision to include it, and was like, do you mind terribly if I do this? And if I am going to do this, what do you want me to read? Mm-hmm. And she gave me a list and I read it all and, you know. That's great. And there it went. So, yeah. That is super exciting. Uh, yeah. I, there you go, listeners. You heard it here. Exclusive on Trek <laughs> FM. Literary <laughs> Treks. And I will tell you nothing more. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Kirsten. I We appreciate your time and... I uh, can't wait to talk about Atonement next year with you. Yeah, it'll be good. Definitely. We'll I have hope. to twist your arm so you come back for that one, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start demanding things. I yeah. want I want water in my trailer. I want, yeah. I want only the orange M&Ms because they <laughs> taste right. the best. <laughs> Bring me the blood of babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Okay, this author has let something go to her head. I know you're a best-selling time New York best-selling Times author, okay? But jeez. <laughs> no, we're not going to sacrifice babies. We're not going to sacrifice small animals for you. Come on. Oh gosh, I've got some roadkill though. <laughs> maybe a few voles, Cardassian voles. Voles, yeah, Cardassian yeah. voles. We could we oh, let that happen. So. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. You have a great night. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Kirsten. Well, Matthew, that was really fun with Kirsten. And uh, we got a little carried away at the end there. But wow, what what a great interview. And I could just see the excitement on your face as she's giving you tidbits of what's to come in the conclusion of this trilogy. Yeah, you know... It is, I just have a blast whenever Kirsten's on. She is a lot of fun, and she does a great job of, I think, teasing us just enough. And, you know, Chris, I finished this book today. Uh, I, I We had a ton to talk about. I felt like we could have continued talking for another hour, maybe, just of all the stuff that, that was just jam-packed in here. And the other thing is, too, her, her knowledge of Voyager, you know, and, and she could talk to her for hours about that. So, um, I'm so excited again for atonement coming out. I can't wait that she has another kind of more standalone Voyager novel Mm going to be coming out after that. And I can't imagine pocketbooks not wanting her to continue with this series because I, I, I hear from everyone. It's one of their favorite series every year. So, Oh, absolutely. uh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, the only thing I could think of is if they decided we're not going to do any more Voyager books at all. That would be the only possibility in my mind mm-hmm. that they would not sign her up for more books after the uh, standalone book that's going to come after Atonement. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the interview. I sure did. But talking to Kirsten about Voyager isn't the only thing we've been doing here this week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 <laughs> self-stealing temples, and he needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The Orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time and well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub. Again. He knows that she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, are, so. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so... To the journey! You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like, literally, on your back. It, like, literally, on your back. Like, I want you to feel the weight. You know, like, this <laughs> Like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp 5. The fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The Ready Room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's blinders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached 
a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it, the first part to be called Becoming Houdini and the second part to be called Being Houdini. Should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini Rises. Yes. Melodic Treks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces, a 60-piece choir, and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. If you're an Apple user, one way that you can help us out greatly is to subscribe to the show if you're not already subscribed. Many people stream the show and you can actually do that through the iTunes application or the podcast application or even through the web browser using the iTunes website. But if you subscribe, it affects the way we place in search results, and it helps other Star Trek books and comics fans find the show more easily as they're looking through iTunes. So go on over and subscribe. That helps us out. And also, while you're there, leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, and that also helps us rise up in the search results. Now, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered everywhere else. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, BlackBerry, Windows Phone, SoundCloud. You can go to the website. You can stream from the show page. You can download the MP3 file from that page as well. Look in the SoundCloud player in the upper right corner and you'll see the icon to download files. And you can also grab the RSS link and pop that into any application that you like. One more way that you can help us out here on the network is to become a patron at patreon.com slash trekafilm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekafilm. It's a lot like Kickstarter, but it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a month-to-month basis. And if you go to that page, you'll see our goals outlined as well as milestone contribution levels. You can set any amount that you like, and we have great perks for you in exchange. Of course, digital items, but we also have things like a chance to sit in on recordings of the show, or become an associate producer, or become part of our content development group for the entire network. We have many people that have already taken advantage of that, and we hope that you will as well. Again, you'll find that at patreon.com slash trekafilm, and we really appreciate any support that you can give us in helping us keep the network going. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's show, there are many ways for you to do that. You can go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that'll come both to Matthew and me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is Trekafilm. On Facebook, our main page is facebook.com slash Trekafilm. And we have the Babel Conference, which is our closed group for listeners. It's a discussion group that replaces the forums that used to be on our website. We're having great discussions over there, a lot of book discussions, in fact. And you can find that by typing the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or going to our website and clicking Discussion on the menu bar at the top. Those will both take you over there. Just click join and I'll let you right on in. And uh, Matthew, we have been having some great book discussions there, haven't we? We have, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. We've been talking about uh, Ships the Line because our friends over at uh, Earl Grey 
decided that they wanted to cover that book because Darren finally forced them to. <laughs> and uh, I think that's then, what I've heard, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just uh, been fun talking about uh, book covers and, and those kind of things coming out. Uh, we had a great discussion about the idea of canon uh, on the, the webs. Uh, yeah. Uh, an ongoing yeah. discussion right now exactly yeah so it's been great i hope you'll join us there i've loved the opportunity to talk star trek in general with um our listeners as well as everything else under the sun with our listeners uh, so yeah come join us because it is fantastic yeah definitely so people can find you in the babel conference of course uh the rest of the time i think you're probably you know sending plot ideas to Kirsten. But when you're not doing that and you're not in the Babel Conference, where else can people find you? Oh, gosh, Risk. Uh, Kirsten is way beyond any of the crappy fiction that I could write for <laughs> Voyager. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with you where we talk about Deep Space Nine all oh, the time. Oh, that that's you? That's you all... that's with me all the time? Yeah. Oh, you, wait, okay. You didn't. Chris, I, I thought it was Matthew O'Brien. So, oh no, 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 that's that's Matthew rushing. So yeah. it's it's me, and that'll be um, explained on the, <laughs> the orb, orb we recorded right before. This. <laughs> that is true. So check us out on the orb where we we do talk a lot about Deep Space Nine, and then of course I am on my own personal blog at forty two lifebetween now, Chris, uh, when you're not just uh, kicking back and, and being thankful that they are going to be able to fix your eye, which I, I know that we are both thankful for, and you'll be so glad to be able to read those Star Trek comics again. I will be. <laughs> Where can we find you? Well, you'll find me acting like a pirate next week because I'm going to have a big <laughs> eye patch on. And I told my daughter, and <laughs> my daughter asked me about the eye patch. And she said, you'll be like a pirate and you'll say, R. And I said, yep, I'm going to do that to you all week. But no, uh, when, even when I'm going through that and recovering from that, uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. Of course, I'm in the Babel Conference every day. I'd love to talk to you there. And I have my own website, which I keep saying I'm going to start updating more often. Maybe that'll happen at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I'm on lots of different shows. Of course, The Orb, as we've already talked about, as well as Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, Hyper Channel, The Ready Room. And also I co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator and executive producer Alec Peters. So you can find me there as well. Also, one more thing before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Go over and pick up Prime Directive or any other book that you want absolutely free as a Trek FM listener when you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Remember, if you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book, so there's nothing to lose. But your support of Audible makes a real difference in our ability to keep literary treks coming to you every week. So we hope you'll go check them out and get some great audiobooks in return. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm is the URL. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.